Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner... Oh, sorry. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Lisa Kalsquigo... Shit. <laughs> this week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Lisa Carasquillo of Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> Lisa will get a marathon decal. <laughs> this week's Law and Order Marathon. Lisa Carasquillo, Carasquillo, Boca Raton. This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Lisa Carasquillo of Boca Raton, Florida. Lisa will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Brandy Brown. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today, we're looking at Criminal Intent, Season 1, Episode 21, Faith. She invented a sick child for the attention, for the love Somebody like Doug Lafferty gets in the way. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. And overaged grad student. You forgot that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's just some uh, true life there. And rounding out our panel is our special guest comedian and podcaster, Brandy Brown. Hello, Brandy. Hello. Hello. So they're bringing back one legacy character in the world of Law and & Order, and of all of them, it's Stabler. <laughs> Would he be your first choice? Um, I mean, no. I, I just, <laughs> I'm not a, a big Stabler person, honestly. The more I think about it, the more I'm just like, you know what? He'd definitely be on trial right now. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah, well, if I can't pick Chester Lake, mm. because he probably hasn't. By the way, this 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 occurred to me the other day. If you watch season one of SVU, yeah, all those people they arrested probably are out now. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Even though like go to jail for life, you know, they probably still made parole. They had to make rooms. Like twenty years is enough. Yeah, several yeah. of them probably on the police force. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably right now. <laughs> all right, but with Law and Order organized crime, yeah, the thing I'm most excited about is to hear how they reinterpret the theme song. Oh God, you know, with Criminal Intent, they had like that guitar, and even SVU was like the clarinet. Yeah, like what are they gonna do to mix up? 
I think it's going to be... Don't I mean, say a mandolin, because that's no, just too Italian. I, I was going to say something Italian, but then I realized all the mob stories in Law & Order are actually about the Russian mob. Oh, that's true, Eastern yeah. European They're scarier. They're Brandy, so aren't they scarier? <laughs> like when you have the Ukrainian mob and their teeth's all messed up. They and- also, every time it's the Italian mob, it's always like comedy it's like biscuits and books the most incompetent (laughs) we love this restaurant (laughs) yeah is this supplanting the hate crimes one because i was just like very terrified that that one was actually gonna happen yeah i mean it's still a thing and it's on the back burner and they're trying to sell it is it about the cops committing hate crimes well look i mean (laughs) sex crimes are like pretty bad too but we've loved it for 21 years i think there's probably more stories they can make up about people being victims of hate crimes as opposed to how many times can they bust the same gangsters in in the the new show i don't know i mean there's a lot of lot to organized crime remember that animal smuggling episode (laughs) that was organized crime (laughs) with the monkey and the basketball (laughs) yeah a lot of stuff can fall under rico so it's just just Law and Order Rico. <laughs> Brandy, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. I have two answers here. I've been thinking hard about this. Mm-hmm. I would say, obviously, Briscoe and Green are my favorite. But in this criminal intent universe, uh, which is also where a lot of my favorite detectives, I'm going to say Stevens and Nichols. Hmm. Shit, wow. That's a deep cut. Yeah, that's, that's a, a deep first. cut. That is a first, yeah. I like Bobby Gorin alone, but I need a woman who can just be like be as esoteric and random and smart as the other detective. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like Barrick. I gotta say, Eames does just a lot of, especially in this first season, just a lot of nodding while he talks. She's just like... Yeah, "Mm -hmm." she's tired. Mm -hmm. She's like... This seems to be her main role. (laughs) She's tired. I've had enough. (laughs) And Brandy, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I gotta go with Jack and Claire. Uh, my favorite mm. DA, though, is Adam Schiff, because he is always so pained. To, like, every time they walk in, he looks like he's about to jump out the window. Those, Jack will be like, hey, Adam. He's like, oh, <laughs> what now? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I just want to, or- we're ordering Chinese food. He's like, oh, might as well jump out a window. I had pizza. Like, he's always so upset and just depressed. You're like, hey, man. He's like, he's like uh, he went into the bathroom and forgot to bring his newspaper, but it's too late to go get it. That's what he just everything is the worst. <laughs> Worst day of his life. Everything. He's like, well, that's just how life is. (sighs) Go back to your office and read the Constitution. (laughs) All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Criminal Intent Season 1, Episode 21, Faith. Well, we see book editor Christine Wilkes direct older gentleman caller Doug Lafferty to the home of Toby and Barb Windermere. He's anxious to see young Erica, but Barb says her foster daughter is too insulted at this request. Unable to actually see her, he storms out. The next morning, he's found dead in his burning car in the naughty section of New York City. (laughs) He was killed with three blows to the head with an umbrella. He wasn't murdered in this location. This blood stain didn't spatter here when he was killed. It most likely came when his head was resting against the door. His body was moved into the passenger seat after he was killed. The killer then drove him here, put him back behind the wheel set him on fire to destroy evidence he was killed elsewhere. Gordon Eames learned that the widower had been withdrawing large sums recently from the bank account and his son spotted him buying jewelry at a fancy store. It had been a woman's watch with an expandable wristband because Erica, its recipient, 
has a disability. Lafferty also paid for a pink motorized wheelchair for a 14-year-old girl. In total, he bought 30 grand worth of medical equipment for the girl diagnosed with ALS, who people know through her life-affirming blog and her best-selling book with the shitty cover. <laughs> her book editor is Christine, who says Erica is an inspiration, but they've only talked on the phone or exchanged emails. Now, in her book, Erica says she's hiding with her foster family because of her abusive criminal parents and their friends, but child welfare has no record of her. Responding to an email from Eames, the girl telephones into Deacon's office and gives more of her life-affirming bullshit. Mm. That's when Gorin does the creepiest thing ever. <laughs> he asks a 14-year-old girl about her period. Mm. And that's the end of that fucking call. <laughs> Convinced she doesn't know how ALS actually affects the body, Gorin declares that little girl that no one has ever seen is a fake. Hmm. All right, killed with an umbrella. We're looking for the penguin, Batman. <laughs> I just have questions about this, the car fire, because like the sex workers walk by and then it's a pretty sizable car fire. Then someone's like, wait a minute. And then they turn around. <laughs> like, why do you have to make it so complicated, you felt moron? Last time I checked, all the parts fit together. You don't have to be so damn complicated. Oh my God! <laughs> it, it seemed like... Someone just threw a Molotov cocktail into the car as they walked by, but it's not clear when it was set on fire or like how they didn't notice this very quickly. Right. They say that what happened was that the body was doused with nail polish remover, had a butane canister of something in its pocket, and that the killer just lit the coat on fire and walked away. However, it seems like the killer was able to make it to the Long Island Railroad mm. before the fire actually started. Yeah, I don't understand the logistics of that, and I also don't understand why it should it have always... been like Stella gets her groove back. You should have been like right there, <laughs> boom! Oh, like the throwing the thing. Yeah, over the it should have been that fast. Yeah. Also, why is it always like sex workers who have to find things on this show? Like, why? why? Well, it's joggers or yeah. One of the cops called her Lucy Hot Pants, but <laughs> her her name in the credits is actually Trixie. So oh. to be <laughs> Trixie, of it's course. way more considerate. Yeah, they like pull that name out of like the catalog of prostitute names that they just keep in the writers' room. You right? think if your mom names you Trixie, you're doomed? <laughs> <laughs> like, I also, I mean. Sex workers never find the crime or they never are like the witness like, yep, they totally saw it. Like it's why would you do this broad daylight? Just right. a lot of criminal logistical questions here. Agreed. Now, first, Gorn explains his criminal profile of the killer. She had excellent improvisational skills. She created an incendiary device. She relocated the body to a high crime area. For all the good it did her, she might as well have left him in the garage. Then Deacon points out that, you know, she could have just left the body in the garage, and Garn goes, oh, no, wait, that. Uh, that's the point. She overthought the event. He's so full of shit. It was like, <laughs> no, 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 not that other thing. That sounds way better. <laughs> Why didn't she leave the body in the garage? Did we ever find that out? Because, as Gorn says... She overthought it. <laughs> well, you would know, Gorin, overthinking everything. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and then also with the laptop they found, they held it up and they're like, Somebody defragged his computer to wipe out files. She defragged it to erase him. Like, that's not how, she just defra ran no, the defrag yeah. program. What? <laughs> 
she just cleaned up the hard drive. That's exactly. it. No, exactly. it actually works faster now. And also, just take the laptop. Why would you just sit there? Just take it. You killed yeah. a man. That's like the least of your worries. Blow up the laptop, too. It's a laptop. Exactly. It's not a desktop where you have to, like, pull the router out and all this other stuff. <laughs> So they visit the jewelry store, and they have questions about the watch band. Mm. Switched it with an expansion band. It's easier to take on and off. He said that the lady might find a band with a clasp too difficult to use. I think she had a little handicap with her right hand. Oh, you do, Girl Scout Goring. <laughs> Again, just sort of the wild-ass suppositions yeah. that we've come to expect from criminal intent. Yes, yes. But I do have a question about the watch purchase. Yeah. Without spoiling the second half of the episode, if... Rebecca, this episode is 20 years old. Okay. You can spoil if, it. If the whole idea is these people get expensive things to sell them, mm-hmm. wouldn't like a custom expandable band and an inscription make that less valuable for them? Like, why would they want that? I don't think he asked for this. Oh. She, yeah, she, I think they're Erica. just committing to the bit. They're like, sure, why not? Just send <laughs> us this thing. Oh, yeah, she'll wear it. <laughs> she needs a watch because she's so busy. <laughs> gotta check the time. Oh, gotta go post on my blog. <laughs> gotta go say something inspiring. That's right. <laughs> I just I also find it weird that a, a an investigative journalist would send that much money without doing investigating until that point. Like I just feel like the first ten thousand dollars, he's like, wait a minute, like you're not going over a thousand without an investigation. Right. I, I just don't buy that. Yeah, he'd already made several payments on the wheelchair before he went. Wait a sec, I feel like I might be getting taken. So I have another question. Go for it. I don't mean to sound insensitive, but. Why, like, the fancy custom pink-seated wheelchair if this person never leaves the house? Like, what does it matter what a wheelchair looks like? Would a plain wheelchair have been just fine? Yeah, it's weird that, like, did they send the dimension? Why would they even, (laughs) why would they just take cash? Like, this is so weird. Because if you you send a custom wheelchair, that is, again, they made up fake dimensions for this person. (laughs) Now they have to sell a fancy pink child's wheelchair. You can't, like, offload that. That's hard to fence. All right, let's take a look at the cast. Mm. We have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Uh, so does anybody know who's playing Barb Windermere, the stepmom? What's wrong with you that makes you want to destroy someone good like Erica? No, but I'm pretty sure I've seen her on a Law & Order show before. Yeah. <laughs> does that count? Yeah, I mean, her name is... <laughs> obviously, her name is uh, Mia Dillon. Six Law & Order Universe appearances. Six is a lot. Yeah, she was in All Good Things and more recently... Never, rarely, sometimes, always. You know, I don't like saying, like, the most interesting thing about a woman is who she's married to. But in this case, it's true. <laughs> well, you know, in the entertainment world, right? Uh, her husband is Kier Dulella. He was Dave Bowman in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Huh. Do oh, Dave? Like, the, the guy you talked to? talk to? I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Oh. I'm afraid I can't let you make up a fake girl and... Sell her on the internet. Is that why he married somebody with such an unsoothing voice? Because he had had too much of that? God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it freaks me out. (laughs) Uh, We do have a repeat offender. Repeat offender. We see Adam LaFave as Toby, the stepdad. She said she talked to you, didn't she? Twelve Law & Order appearances. Big face guy, I Each one of them with three lines, and that's it. Uh, He was on Law & Order's Divorce episode and SVU's chat room, both of which we covered. You called him what, Mr. Fatface? I call him Mr. Big Face. He's got a big face. He looks like like the villain in the first Incredibles movie. (laughs) Like a giant face. In real life? (laughs) 
I mean, he's not like a big guy, but his face is just disproportionate. He would benefit from some well-placed facial hair, I think. Yeah, he's got eternal baby face. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. You know he looked exactly like that. Like, if you look at his fourth grade school yeah, bully, I looked like, up that's his, that guy. <laughs> I looked him up on IMDb, and I was like, he's that old? Like, he's, like, pretty old. <laughs> Jeez. Who's playing Mr. Green, the book publisher? Since it came out last fall, it's been one of our biggest sellers, which surprised me. It was pretty raw when we got it. Thank God for editors. You went right by, never noticed? Nope. Uh, that's character actor Bill Raymond. He had supporting roles in Lincoln and 12 Monkeys. But Rebecca, you will remember him from HBO's Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, God. He's Roy, the old man that Catherine Hahn is really attached to, but had to kick him out of the senior center because yeah. he was jerking off during the afternoon movie. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. You remember that? <laughs> there are a lot of things about that show that um, I remember, not necessarily voluntarily. <laughs> Brandy, have you ever seen that show, Mrs. Fletcher? I don't think I have. I think I... St- I saw like one episode because Catherine Hahn, of course. Yes, but, yeah. she's amazing. All she does in the show is masturbate. That's literally the whole show. Is just so she gets to the threesome at the end. Many episodes yeah. of her just masturbating is <laughs> pretty much the whole show. I, you know what? That I actually now that you said that, I was like, yes, I actually remember that. Okay, <laughs> yes, I do. I do remember that. <laughs> kind of a hypocrite to kick out the old man for masturbating. I know. When I know. Literally, all she, she was, does. Yeah, grinding on a pillow or something like that. <laughs> but can you tell us who is the actress playing Christine? Wilkes, Finally. The, the book editor. I'll tell you what I hope. I hope that I never lose faith in one of the kindest, most spiritual human beings I have ever met. You're not just betraying Erica, you're betraying all children. Finally. You that's, want to take it? Yes. That's, I'm not going to let you. Brandy, you I'm know old, the name of so. <laughs> Like, she looks familiar, and I just, I was skimming IMDb, and I'm sure once you say it, I was like, oh yeah, okay. So I know this because I'm older than you. <laughs> That's the only reason why I know it. That's Polly Draper, yep. who was uh, became famous in the show 30-something, in which she played oh. the sexy friend, not the quirky friend, who was played by Melanie Mayron. She played the sexy friend. Yeah, Ellen. Yeah. Nominated for an Emmy Award for that role. Uh, she's now 60-something yeah. instead of 30-something. That's okay. We all age. I think I was like 20 early something or teen something when that came out. And I'm it started in 1987 something. was oh. when that. Oh, <laughs> I was 14. Yeah. yeah I was six. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, her husband was Arsenio Hall's band leader, and that's how they met. And along with her sons, Nate and Alex Wolf, they created the hit music show for Nickelodeon called the Naked Brothers Band. Really? Which sounds like something that should not be on Nickelodeon. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, picture pages with Bill Cosby is on Nickelodeon. They're lawless. <laughs> yeah. so. They're lawless. <laughs> like, might as well strip away the facade. And, just... and, and my all-time favorite show, iCarly, in which kids just randomly beat each other up all the time. And they drink Pepsi cola Exactly. Gibby. Okay, uh... <laughs> By the way, she is the descendant of Francis Cook, who came over on the Mayflower. Oh, fucking of course. Just Jesus like Christ. I did. She looks like the woman who's on that show on Hallmark, The Good Witch. Like, she looks like several other Hollywood mm. actors. Like, she does. That's why I was like, is that? No. She was also a very early adopter of the buff physique. She had it, you know how she has it in this episode? Yeah. She had it back in the 80s, and that, like, women didn't look like that in the 80s. Not until Linda Hunt did Terminator did women look like, with the arms and the shoulders and everything. Was she, like, beating people up on 30-something, or what? No, 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 I just think she wore a lot of, like, sleeveless things to show off those guns. Oh, okay. (laughs) Never skips arm day. Exactly. Can we just talk about the book? Through the Darkness. Through the Darkness. (laughs) Uh, Everybody knows about that book. Carver knows about that book. EMTs know about the book. (laughs) The EMT was the 
best. She's already been through a lot. I mean, you read the book? Yeah, sure. The book my, my partner hasn't. Well, you should. It's so right on. He's been after me to get into it. What's it called again? Yeah, we're trying to lay low, and that's why we have a national bestseller. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, Erica calls Deacon's office, and on the speakerphone asks Eames if she has children. Alex, do you have any kids? No. Your voice reminds me of my kindergarten teacher. It's a very warm voice, like you spend a lot of time talking to kids. I hope you have some someday. Well, I hope you have kids someday, or at least be a surrogate mother for your sister in season three to explain your on-camera pregnancy. <laughs> Which was already a stretch. Do you think like they were going to like do the Olivia Benson thing with her, or just like, oh... Her subplot is, I mean, we know that she's a widow. Her husband was a cop killed in the line of duty. Are they going to like, oh, she just wants to have a kid for the next couple of seasons? <sighs> so boring. And- this part is where I really was like, this episode should have been way shorter at the point that she called a police station. They can't trace that. No one, no one can figure <laughs> out where that's exactly. coming from. <laughs> like, they're doing a lot of extra detective work when even back then they had the tools to figure out who that was. Exactly. Yeah, burner phone or, yeah. She doesn't have that motorized wheelchair. She didn't get to a phone booth. Yeah. (laughs) And so to see if she actually knows anything about ALS effects on teenagers, Gorn asks one of the most cringeworthy things about her period. How has ALS affected your menstruation? Uh, uh, you mean... Well, I don't want to embarrass you. In your book, you're very frank about your development as a, a young woman. If it makes you uncomfortable, I... It's not that. If you, dear listener, could see the look on Deacon's face... <laughs> in his one eye, his eye his, patch? <laughs> no, you're thinking of uh, Ra. Oh, no, that was later on, right? Yeah. 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 No, no, no. He looked up like, you are fucking kidding me. <laughs> because America was like, you are fucking kidding me. Well, what makes it extra creepy is he used the word menstruation, <laughs> which is like yeah. not a word anybody uses unless it's like in a weird uh, like sex ed or medical situation. But wouldn't you think that these fakers would have at least done like a tiny bit of research if they're going to do this years long fraud? I think that's why he had <laughs> to ask such a weird question, because that isn't a thing anyone would research, really. Right. right. They, so like if you ask anything, he's just he also like that's not. No tact. You got to like slip that in and be like, hey, you know, when I did this or I saw someone who did this and then make up a lie about someone else with ALS that they knew and catch them in a lie. Deacon says something like, if I hadn't heard it with my own ears, well, it was a legitimate question. No, it isn't. They never explain why, though. What does ALS do to a teenager and their menstruation? He's like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) The the answer was that she couldn't answer it. (laughs) I think it. Does. I think they kind of did address it. I think he's like basically like it shouldn't have any impact. It doesn't matter. Like mm. that's why he said it. And if she yeah. was like yeah. stumbling on it. Yeah. The answer is like, well, it's heavy, detective. It's extra heavy with unusual spotting. Are you happy now? <laughs> have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Walmart Plus.
Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Posing as a grad student, (laughs) Eames approaches Professor David Kantler, who wrote the introduction to Erica's book, to see if he knows anything. You see, I want to interview Erica for my thesis. And if you could help me... Yes, well, I have a confession to make. It wasn't possible to actually meet with her. But your introduction... Yes, I know, a little poetic license. I went to meet her, but her health was so fragile, she just wasn't strong enough. But you got to see where she lived. Uh, Yes, I did that, but... uh... My thesis partner. I'm Detective Robert Gorin. How you doing? He takes the detectives to the Windermere's home, but they've recently moved out. As Gorin points out, there had never been any bed or medical equipment in the room. That's when Cantler realizes... He's been had. Mm. Just like Lafferty, he had bought expensive medical equipment for the girl that's now vanished. Barb and Toby also had Erica's admirers pay for her medication, money that the crooked pharmacist would just forward to the Windermere's. That's how they capture the couple who say Erica's safe someplace with friends that they can't name either. Gorin says that they checked the serial numbers on the gravel from the driveway, <laughs> and it matches the serial numbers on the gravel found in <laughs> Lafferty's tires. Well, it's clear they made up Erica, but Gorin isn't convinced that they actually killed the old man. The first drafts of that book were punched up with greatly flourished passages by its editor, Christine, who refuses to believe anything other than Erica is real. She admits driving Doug to their home, but not to killing him. Carver tells the Windermere's that Lafferty left $2 million to Erica and her guardians, but a murder conviction would nullify that, unless <laughs> Christine comes to the squad to complain that the seizure of Erica's royalties will leave her destitute. And that's when a call comes in from the teen herself. And by that, I mean Barb using her stupid Erica voice. Mm. She tells Christine her $2 million inheritance would be voided if Barb goes down for the crime. And driven by her belief that this beautiful sunbeam of a fake child must be protected, Christine confesses to murdering Lafferty with the umbrella and setting the fire, all because Doug didn't believe the girl was real. That is a lot. Who got the last laugh on that? That might be the longest synopsis of half of an episode I've ever heard you read. That is a lot. A lot happens a lot in these happened criminal in episode. episodes you can't <laughs> skip over. So Eames goes undercover as a grad student. Uh, she gets this mom goes back to school to finish her degree bomber jacket. Yes, and, and the sweater <laughs> with the cruel like embroidery on it. So young and fresh. <laughs> She's a hippie. <laughs> Olivia Benson always has like her undercover wardrobe so that she could look like either a swinger or a madam. She does this thing. Brandy, did you notice this? She walks into the school to talk to the professor in her student clothes. She pretends for four seconds that she needs to talk to him about a paper. 
And then they reveal themselves to be cops immediately. What is the point of the outfit or the I ruse? Think they, I think Goran and Eames actually want to do improv. I am convinced about this. And the reason why is the episode later on with the Jay Moore fashion thing. And Goran is pretending. I don't know if you've done this episode or not. But there's one where he's like pretending to be a like a fashion house mm-hmm. calling. And he's clearly enjoying that. Like they clearly love to just do bits. Like, yep. like the Scalar brothers of Christ. <laughs> so we know this professor teaches at Hudson. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. It's obvious because a faculty member at Hudson would be okay with making up a story for the book. Mm. It's absolutely on, on point. And then they get to that empty house and he tries to out-intellect Gorin with some obscure philosophical argument. There's a theorem, Godel's Great Incompleteness Theorem. Every axiomatic system will contain truths that cannot be proven. But the absence of proof can be proof. And of course, Gorin already knows it and just finishes it for him, goodwill hunting style. Hmm. He's like, my boy's wicked smart. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Apparently this professor is famous. So famous that like Gorin knows who he is and what he wrote. And, and What department is he in? Like ge- genetics? genetics or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> yeah. He's got two bestsellers and four ex-wives yeah. that they knew immediately. First of all, that is definitely a humanities or like <laughs> <laughs> building. I don't know. I just, as a liberal arts person, that's definitely humanities building, the energy coming from that. Nobody who wants to play the guitar yeah. is also studying DNA sequences. That's right. And no student of genetics would be wearing that hippie jacket and that cruel embroidery sweater. Just saying. It's definitely made it. She looked like she was going to a writing seminar. We all know what she was doing. Well, she only had to do the facade for 45 seconds. She just, <laughs> oh, I never saw her. So. She just wanted an excuse to wear jeans to work that day. That's right. <laughs> the rest of the episode, it's like she's still dressed down. She just took the funky jacket off. Yeah, he's a per- I, I'm still hung up on him being a professor of genetics with no questions. None. Right. None. <laughs> Agrees to write this. Very rare for a, a, a female to get this at this age, especially outstanding, outstanding work. His, he's definitely had articles retracted. I can already yeah. tell. Yep. <laughs> can you imagine a geneticist writing one bestseller? Let alone two? No. I mean, they better be like romance <laughs> novels. I just, who would like, oh, I don't want to Or see. like a collaboration with like Mary Roach or something. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a question as a former Long Islander. Yeah. How the hell are we supposed to believe that they found that house just by driving around after going to That's a Long Island That's what I was wondering stop? about. That's so much <laughs> If you've ever been to Long Island, every house in every neighborhood looks the same. Like in almost every town in Long Island, it's like split level, split level, split level, or Victorian, Victorian, Victorian. Like there is no neighborhood where it's distinct enough where you could just drive around and, and find a house that looks like the house you were in. No, but Gordon's like, look for one with this special white gravity. <laughs> they didn't blindfold him. They just drove him around for an Apparently. hour. Disoriented him. Yeah. He's from there. But I think I feel like if you, unless you have some like really bad sense of direction, you can generally like... We just made four left. Figure out where you're going. You're like, all right, it was by the Super America. By like, I don't know. I, I feel like you've got to blind someone if you're just going to drive them around. A lot of yeah, OPSEC in this. A is lot terrible. of OPSEC yeah. in this. Is yeah, you terrible. definitely can like you know fake somebody out driving them to house, but when you leave in the daylight, it's like, oh, Appleton Street. You know, <laughs> God damn it! The detectives think that there may be a reason that Christine refuses to believe Erica's fake. And it has something to do about children. Hmm. You had a scare last summer. One of your co-workers told us you had a bad pap smear. I had 
a precancerous cervical condition, which I was treated for. Not that it's any of your business. She's like, that's none of your business. Well, it's none of your coworkers' business either. <laughs> Who's just drops over by the coffee? We're like, listen, she's been going through some bad pap smear shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, the only coworker we saw was that old publisher guy. Why would she tell him? I don't know. All he doesn't I, even know what a pap smear is. She's probably really loud on the phone or something. It's very hysterical. <laughs> like, what bad pap smear? <laughs> I got to say, like, if you live to be old enough, like me, mm-hmm. at some point you'll have a pap smear where they're like, we need to do it again. Like, we saw something weird. But oh, I've had that already. It's, it's not fine. It's, is it, does it, did it cause you to have an existential crisis that would uh, make you believe in a fraud like this? No, I was just like, oh man, I do not have time for cancer. Like that's really <laughs> <laughs> it's very inconvenient. Yeah. So that bad pap smear. Well, it's heavy, detective. It's extra heavy with unusual spotting. Yes. Again. Again. All up in lady parts. Really? Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Who is. wrote this? And are they going through menopause? Like that's yeah. my question. This is a lot of like, oh, someone's going through it and working it out on the screen. Okay. Yeah. All that period nostalgia that that lady has. <laughs> <laughs> so the plan is to facilitate facilitate the Windermere's committing insurance fraud, Mm. but they're not actually going to let him commit insurance fraud. That's more of a season four plot hole as opposed to a season one plot hole. The money was to be held in trust with your client as trustee. Two million dollars to spend any way she wanted. The best part of it is you would have been able to keep all of it without ever having to prove that Erica exists. A murder conviction will, of course, void the policy. Crime isn't supposed to pay. Did you guys notice that the insurance policy was actually a booklet that said insurance policy on the cover? Yeah. <laughs> and fancy, the... like, academic script writing. Somebody went to a desktop publisher and said, chick, 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 okay, old English fonts. Microsoft works. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft works. We'll that, that's it. right for the era, because we see Erica's computer is one of those clamshells. Remember those? Yeah. Of course, they said they can't find anything of Erica. Except for this laptop with like all this girls crap on it. It's like, Erica. <laughs> That's apparently how Barb wrote the uh, manuscript. The blog. On, yeah, the blog. <laughs> so we keep getting these phone calls from apparently uh, a young sounding woman. Yes. They keep putting her on speakerphone. Yeah, so they put her on speakerphone when she calls the police station and, uh, you know, talks to Polly Draper. And she hangs up because she gets very upset. Erica? 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 And then there's a dial tone. We all know what that sounds like. Boo. Mm -hmm. And Polly Draper continues to scream, Erica? Erica? (laughs) Erica? And everyone's like, Erica? And I'm like... It's fucking dial tone. You guys know. You know she's hung up by now, right? You can't come back. It's not like you've been put on hold and you can come back. You can't come back when someone has hung up the phone. Even in like, even in the pre like super internet sleuthing days, this didn't even make sense. So ultimately, I guess their criminal scam is to fence used medical equipment, (laughs) including a child sized pink motorized wheelchair with a left handed joystick. (laughs) I don't know who the hell buys that. I mean, other than cheap old men who are trying to, you know, get up on an imaginary teenager. Yeah, it's just, why would you not just ask for cash and then make up a lie? As you're like, oh, well, it's really hard to customize it, and we would tell you where, but that's too much private information about her, and like the doctor, you know, like, just get yeah. cash. Like, yeah. they are doing a lot of extra catfishing work that nobody needs to do. There's <laughs> actually, I actually have a theory that they didn't, that didn't happen, but... 
what would be a good scheme was if that same wheelchair sales guy just kept selling the same wheelchair yeah. over and over again and giving half the money to the people. Yeah, it's like when you, when you go to the fence with your fourth respirator, <laughs> isn't even the fence going to be like, look, I know people bring stolen weird shit to me, but what the hell? <laughs> yeah, that actually would be a good fraud. But again, there are just so many people being, how did he even get into the scheme? Like. Yeah. You got to find like a real shape. Like, hey, doc, uh, listen, do you know anyone who might be interested in uh, some side gigs with selling children's wheelchairs? Like, right. what? Like- right. And it's like, think about the customer for that. They have to have enough money to buy it, but not have insurance that will cover it. So like yeah. it's a very narrow lane of people that would buy that used motorized wheelchair. The foster care system provides for children. Like you get money. And like people would be like, well, why isn't foster care paying for this? Like that would be the question that most people who would do any amount of research would ask. Because- oh, but but you know, investigative journalists and PhDs, they're not thinking ahead. No, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah, you're they right. They don't think at all. And Erica's too much of a special snowflake to have a regular foster chair wheelchair. She needs a special. Yeah. I mean, but not even the fence. Like the people buying. Like who wants used medical equipment? Yeah. Like if I had to buy. A respirator for my mom, you know, I would get something new. If I had to buy it for you, Brandy, I would get you a rusty iron lung from (laughs) the abandoned Victorian hospital outlet store. (laughs) Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money, which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for a rip from the headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. This episode is drawn from the real-life story of Debbie Swenson. In 1999, the Oklahoma woman learned her teenage daughter created an online persona for a made-up basketball player named KC Nicole. Instead of making her delete it, Swenson took over the site and began posting as KC. After the family moved to Kansas, KC became a popular figure online. Visitors loved her blog in which she wrote uplifting stories of being a high school senior. Then Casey told an online friend she had leukemia, and they started a new blog to document her health struggles. Millions of people read her stories and were inspired by the teen's courage. Gifts and cards were sent to a local post office box. In 2001, Swenson posted Casey died unexpectedly and had been immediately cremated. (laughs) Other bloggers smelled a rat. (laughs) The post office box had been discontinued. No obituary had been published. Sleuths traced the blog's IP address to Swenson's town and discovered KC's profile picture was of an athlete at her daughter's old school. Debbie Swenson fessed up to the hoax, much to the anger of the online community. The FBI investigated whether she broke any financial laws for accepting the gifts, but they declined to prosecute. (laughs) So some might also recognize the similarities in the story in this episode to the film and novel The Night Listener, starring Robin Williams, a similar tale of a boy who wrote a memoir of his horrible life, but no one had actually ever seen him. That also happened in real life. This is considered an early case of Munchausen by Internet, is how they called it, Hmm. but 
I'd say you only have to watch one episode of Catfish to know this was bullshit. <laughs> what, you're looking for Eddie? And, oh, he died, girl. He died. <laughs> I love what, I love what, like, they're all, anytime these catfishing things happen, it's all people who are, like, really good at, like, writing a story but don't know how to end it. It's like Game <laughs> of Thrones. It's just like, they, they really, die. really built the plot. They're like, ah, she died, cremated the end. I don't know. Something to come to come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. real person or fake, if you have to say, we cremated her the same day. <laughs> Immediately. Something is shady. Yeah, that was uh that's the red flag for me. Yeah. <laughs> if Rebecca, if you died and I had you cremated the later day? that day, yeah. I might be getting a call from the police. <laughs> that was quite sudden, Mr. Flynn. Anytime yeah. these people get caught and they're really into it, like sometimes they'll be like, oh, I just got caught up in this one story when I was just like looking like those one off people do exist. But they're often the people who like keep traveling from town to town and like pretending to have leukemia. Like they get yep. into it and it's absolutely wild. So this person, I'm wondering if she's still out there operating a grift. Yeah, she probably yeah, is. Know, I, <laughs> well, I, I tried to find a where is she now. I mean, it's been 20 years. She's kept a very low digital profile. Uh, wouldn't I, can, you? I mean, maybe she changed her name, <laughs> uh, but I, I could not locate her because I do like to say. Oh, yeah, she's a plumber now or whatever. Yeah. So this scam started to fall apart uh, when the administrator of that blog, she had said that she's losing the battle with leukemia and he really wanted to meet her before she died and was like, oh, okay, that kind of pushed it along where we had to extract ourselves from this story. Administrator of the blog? This yeah. is like pre-Tumblr, I guess, then, huh? 1990. That was all, you know, Free HTML WordPress. code. And, yeah, right. <laughs> so, on like in the early days of Twitter, when I was on my other my locked account, the Brandy, I had encountered this woman who was very into like stand up comedy, and you know, she was really nice, and she knew some of the comics I knew, and wasn't trying to like finesse or grift or anything. But you know, she mentioned she'd had cancer and stuff like that, and you know, I you just form Twitter relations with people. You you, you mm-hmm. care about them. You're worried about them, and so she said that she was going to. Uh, be getting treatment in a hospital that's like within four hours of the Twin Cities. So I was like, well, you know, maybe I can come down there. And I sent her, I was on this album compilation of comics and I knew she was a comedy fan and she like, other comics had met her before. So she's real. (laughs) That is confirmed. And I was like, oh, I'll just send you, you know, this comedy album. I mean, like she never asked for money or anything and talking to her was enjoyable, but she had pretty severe cancer from what I heard. You know, you just fall out of touch with people online and I was like, I wonder what happened to her. I hope she's okay. And so this like thing with her, like when I last talked to her, was like a, maybe like eight years ago. So yeah. during the panty, <laughs> I was like, I wonder how she's doing. She's okay. Because typically, even if there if there's like a comedy super fan who dies in like, especially like people who do the clubs, like somebody will mention it and be like, oh, mm-hmm. this person died. They loved comedy. So I did some Googling and I like found her name and I was like, oh, she's. Like her name came up in the context, and this is where it gets buck wild. In the context of someone pulling a similar, like a catfish scheme on her, and her oh. family had sued this person. So I was like, what? Maybe. And I was like, hold on. Maybe I was never speaking to this woman. I was speaking to the person who was catfishing her. So I was like, really, like, like on Twitter, I was like, what's going on here? And, you know, the woman had been running her grift and like had stayed with. The person I thought I was talking to. Wow. It was a scam inside a scam. Wait, it oh. gets so, this keeps going. Okay. <laughs> this goes deep, <laughs> y'all. So I did the research and I was tweeting about it and I mentioned the comedy club where she allegedly was. So somehow the booker for that comedy club is like, hey, found me and like emailed me and like, can you call me? Like he literally said, call me now. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. So I told him the story and he's like, oh no, the person you're speaking to is real. That actually happened to her. 
But also, she has been telling people that story, too. So it seems like a situation where a catfisher got catfished, too. Wow. And so that like lawsuit really did happen to her. It was a legitimate thing. She would always talk about having cancer with people. And I'm like, oh, so this story she's told me about fainting during a show happened. They're like, yeah, that happened. But like... It wasn't like ever we just kind of humored her and her family does like a lot of stuff for the community and stuff. But like she never took money from people or anything. So it's like nobody. Everyone's like, we'll humor you. You're clearly need this emotional (laughs) thing. I wasn't even mad. I'm like, but she's alive. And I'm like, they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> like that's, that's all a I cared catfish. about. It was wow. a double catfish, and I was just like, I'm glad she's okay. I mean, she's clearly not okay, but physically fine. So yeah, that was a wild thing that happened. It's a really long game because you have to make somebody love you before they'll care about your cancer, right? Your fake cancer, right? Right. So I just wonder if you're already getting the positive attention from having made people love you, like she did on the first version of the blog. Like, why does it all of a sudden have to turn into like something? as intense as making up fake cancer stories. Well, I think that was the fact that the administrator got in, and I have a lot of questions for the administrator that seemed to, like, push them into almost the blogger. Well, apparently, you know, Casey told this, you know, online fan that, oh, I have leukemia, and so it was his idea. Let's work on this together. We'll create a new blog. It'll talk about your journey fighting cancer and it'll be beautiful meanwhile casey was just trying to ghost him by saying yes like, like, like i i gotta write my way out of this scam somehow now you're doing a podcast with the guy that you should have yes, just right. muted on twitter how come you never turn your camera on on zoom when we do this? <laughs> that is gonna do it for us want to thank our special guest brandy brown brandy where can our listeners follow you online um i'm on twitter at it's the brandy it's the brandy with an i all one word and um i've got a show upcoming at flappers uh virtual comedy show on uh, the 10th of april so you can you know flappers comedy just google for that and rebecca lavoy how can our listeners follow you twitter and instagram it's really me i promise at Reb LaVoy. actually it's me doing two voices <laughs> and you can uh, track nice. you can track me on twitter at kevin p flynn you can also tweet to us at law and order pod or follow us on instagram at these are their stories podcast our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.